0: Hi, everybody. This is Kathy. And this is Todd. And welcome to our new show called Conversations with People
1: We Love. Um, We're going to be speaking with authors, friends, philanthropists, you name it. It's basically people who are out there making the world a better place.
0: Yes. These people inspire us and we think they'll inspire you. And this program is brought to you by BU, Raising Whole and Courageous Kids. These aren't just workshops. It's a movement.
1: Enjoy the show. Here we go. My name is Todd Adams. And
0: this is Kathy Adams.
1: Welcome back. Zen Parenting Radio, Conversations with People We Love, episode number we don't know yet.
0: Uh, no, We don't know yet, but sometime in the new year. That's right. 2014.
1: So we have a very special guest, and her name is Shafali Sabari, and she's an author, and I have her bio here, I suppose. She's a clinical psychologist, private practice in New York. She received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University in New York. Um, as she was exposed to Eastern teachings at an early age, her specialty is an integration of this Eastern philosophy and Western psychology.
0: And that's basically why Todd and I feel so drawn to uh, Dr. Shafali and her work is it's that wonderful combination of how to parent here in the moment, but to be also aware of what's going on, you know, living in the real world. I mean, because that's, that's always the the questions I get whenever I'm doing presentations is, well, that sounds great, Kathy, to be conscious or to be self aware, but how do I integrate that into the real world. And so Shefali's work is so instrumental in helping. It's given me so much language, as I've told her before. Her books have given me new language, new ideas to pull from. So we're just so thankful that she can be on the show to talk with you.
1: And she now. has uh, two books. One is, is going to be out uh, shortly, and the other one is called uh, The Conscious Parent. This new one that's coming out is called Out of Control, Why Disciplining Your Child Doesn't Work and What Will. So let's bring Shefali on. Shefali, are you there?
2: Yes, I am. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you.
1: It's a pleasure to have you. Um, so, uh, Kathy, I'm going to let you kind of take charge of this, and we're just going to kind of dive right into it.
2: Okay.
0: Well, Shafali, I wanted to first of all, your first book, The Conscious Parent. Um, I want to give it a few. If in, if people have not heard of it, and you like this shows on Parenting Radio, then you're going to love The Conscious Parent. I highly recommend. And you know, just to besides the fact that we love it, um, Eckhart Tolle gives it an endorsement, and the foreword is by the Dalai Lama. So if you know if you if you're not sure we're correct, those are people that you can definitely uh trust and so Shafali, can you just kind of um give us some you know some basic information about the conscious parent and about you know w- tell us how you got to writing that like were you doing this in your practice because obviously you have a private practice already were you sharing this with parents and finding it difficult for them to comprehend or tell us how you you know how you got to the conscious parent?
2: That's a great question, Kathy. Um, You know, yes, it was in my private practice that I began to notice that the traditional parenting information and techniques and strategies that I was giving to parents wasn't working, and it really made me question why, because I was working with well-intentioned, very loving, dedicated, devoted parents, and I was a dedicated therapist with these, you know, time Time uh, standard techniques, and yet it wasn't helping in bringing families closer. And when I began to delve deeper, and this was further aided, then this journey was further aided by my own foray into parenthood. I began to notice and realize that what comes between us and the other, whether our children, our spouses, our friendships, is not really uh, anything that can be aided and abetted by a strategy because it comes from a deep, unconscious place. And we put onto the other um, vestiges and um, memories and shadows of a past that we may have not yet resolved or even realized was sitting within us. So then when our children especially come into our lives because they are so close to us, these... Memories and vestiges come out of us and get projected onto them in a more profound and powerful way. And this is what was standing between the parents and their children that I was trying to help them to connect with. And until we dealt with and devoted all our energies to excavate and understand, then no strategy in the world was going to help. So my focus began to shift away from superficial behavioral manifestations and strategies To a real deep understanding of what a child brings forth in a parent and how that child becomes instrumental really in helping the parent go back into their own childhood and heal their own past issues around their childhood. Exactly. It's, it's you know, the, the child,
0: once you become a parent, they just become this huge mirror where you see yourself or feel yourself in a completely different way. And, you know, when when I relay this kind of um, what you were just explaining to parents and whenever they come to me about an issue with their child, you know, if, can you just fix my child? And I always start by saying we have to start with self-care. We have to start with self-awareness. And a lot of times they feel as if I'm putting blame upon them. Can you, can you speak about that? Like, this is not an issue of blame. This is an issue of self-awareness.
2: Yes, but it's really hard for parents because I don't think anyone is more invested in their identity as the, the parent is. You know, we are so invested in our role as mom and dad, and we so want to do our best job. But we so often fail to realize that that best job often really means that we want our kid to reflect us so we can feel good about ourselves. And we kind of miss the whole point. So, you know, I understand parents who feel defensive and I really empathize with them and I have compassion for that defense. And and I really work with that because it's that wounded part of themselves that wants to be validated and wants to be accepted. And unless we as, as healers and caregivers and therapists can actually help them identify their own inner vulnerable child, we really won't be able to help them help their children's inner vulnerable self. So uh, that, that defense is very natural, very normal. And I expect it. I, I you know, if it wasn't there, I, I would think that somebody was, you know, faking it. So it's, it's a grist for the mill. And we work with it as people who want to help parents because it's inevitable. You know, it's just their own insecurities coming up. And once we can get past that, then parents begin to realize, oh, you know, we invited this particular child into our lives particularly for the precise reason so that we can grow in this way. And only this child could evoke those feelings in us and no other child. So then they begin to see their child as an instrument for growth rather than self-deprecation and blame. Because that self-deprecation and blame is just their own
0: inner critic talking. Exactly. It's, it's the essential first step. And then after you get, and again, it's never done. It's a it's a daily process. It's a moment-to-moment process. But once that first step is taking, taken, you see everything completely differently. Well, so, well what's
1: interesting is we've been doing this show. This is our 100, we've done over 150 of these. And I feel like our listeners are... Are becoming educated in at least the way we think about parenting. And, you know, we do presentations from time to time, and you hear the typical questions of, you know, timeouts and, you know, do you spank your child? And, like, you know, these the que- old, strategies. The old strategies. And what's great about interviewing Shafali is I feel like this uh, helps us, Kathy and I, and our listeners to take it to the next step. Yeah. It's, it's we're, let's not waste our time with. All that small stuff like timeouts. Let's take it to the next level. Like the one quote that I share with our show every week is uh, at the very beginning of the show the best predictor of a child's well being is a parent's self understanding. I don't know where I heard that. I didn't make it up. I, if Shafali, if you happen to know where it came from, it's a wonderful <laughs> quote. But that and it brings up the essence of, of what it is that parenting is. It's, it's your parents or your children are a mirror for you, and they t- have as much to teach us as we have to teach them.
2: Oh, I love that that quote. Thanks for saying it. Yes, because if the parent is not grounded in a sense of abundance um, and a true rooted sense of who it is they are and and their constant evolution, right? We don't want to just get rigidified and calcified in a sense of who I am, because that's the problem in the first place. We want to constantly evolve moment to moment. And when the parent is ready to evolve moment to moment, then they realize that their child is simply bouncing off their energy as they will bounce off their child's energy. And now how do we create that third element, which is the us, and make that us that sacred place? So it's not about the individual egoic me as a parent or the child as an individual ego. It's how do we create this connected relationship where both entities are deemed honorable, valid, valuable, and sacred.
1: Well, um, I'm going to read a quote out of the book that's coming out, Out of Control, Why Disciplining Your Child Doesn't Work and What Will. This is a quote uh, from your book. Almost everyone believes that parents punish their children for their misbehavior. On the surface, it certainly appears this way. I'm saying that the real reason is different. I believe we punish them for making us feel inadequate in some way. and I'm wondering if you can expound on that.
2: Yeah, so that's for my next book, which will be coming out soon in January, called Out of Control. It really debunks this whole idea that uh, we come from this place of superiority and we're here to fix our children. And our children, if they are lacking in any way, it really has nothing to do with us. So suddenly, when we enter this thing called the disciplinary process, what happens is that we somehow remove ourselves from this responsibility of their, quote unquote, badness, and therefore because we aren't part of that quote unquote badness, we then seek to control it and fix it. Now we need to shift this whole paradigm around. There is no singular bad child and the bad child is not out there and there's no bad in quotes or out of quotes. The bad Mm -hmm. element simply comes from our perception of who it is we are in our relationship with our children. So when our children act in ways that make us feel bad, that make us feel out of control, that make us realize that, you know, A, they're ordinary and they're not going to elevate our sense of being. You know, we're going to have to do that on our own. That our children are not really invested in making us happy. They're really only invested in making themselves happy. Then we begin to realize that, oh, whatever I judge as bad and good is really coming from my own perception of how I feel in relationship with them. So then... Discipline, discipline just becomes this arbitrary process where I choose to discipline if I feel bad as a parent and hapless and helpless, and I choose to not discipline if they make me feel good. So this next book really looks deeply into this idea of discipline and makes us realize as parents how we use it as an artificial construct in the name of learning and teaching when really it's all about how it is our children make us feel
0: Exactly. And, you know, one of my favorite chapters, I loved your whole book. Um, I was lucky enough to um, get an advanced copy and read it. And one of my favorite chapters, I love the title, Your Children Are Here to Challenge Your Integrity. And right before you get into that, you're talking about when our children are rude to us, how we often feel like we have to then do something or control it or say something or somehow make them feel bad about it or shame them. And actually, that if they are being rude to us, that there is something subconsciously going on in us where we are thinking, that, or not thinking, we are allowing for it. Can you expand on that? Because that's what comes up the most with me, Shafali. when I'm talking to parents about this is they will say, well, my child was rude. My child was disrespectful. I can't let it go. And, you know, talk about
2: that. Yes. Yeah, so when a child is rude, then again, just like that badness, what we parents do very conveniently is we just look at the rudeness as coming from the singular identity of the ch- child And we don't even for a second assume it's coming from the relational element between parent and child. And then when we do that, then we just look at the child as possessing that bad quality. And of course, then we want to seek to control it, annihilate it, decimate it, do anything to squash it. Now, in this new way of looking at it, where everything stems from the relationship and is fostered or um, made toxic because of the relationship, then the parent looks at rude behavior as simply a symptom of something deeper. Now, what could that something deeper be? It could be two things, you know, and of course, many complex things beneath that, but simplistically saying two things. One of them is that the child is going through something unconscious in their own lives and in their own imagination, with their own defenses, with their own growing, budding cells that they need help with and they can't quite articulate, and then it's coming out in this way. And the other part is that it's coming from the relational aspect where the child feels pressured or burdened or thrown against the wall by the parental energy. And so the parent has two choices in this matter. One, look at themselves and see their own energy and see what they bring to the equation. And two, really go deeper into the child's history and psyche and try to understand what's going on within the child. Both these approaches ask for introspection, curiosity, insight, investigation, none of them ask for discipline or control. Yes, exactly. And that, you know, the the other
0: aspect of it is how then, you know, so, okay, we've got that understanding. We understand this is happening because of either something they're trying to communicate maybe not very well or that they don't even understand or have words for, or it's the relational aspect. You know, it's something we're also bringing to the table that they are picking up on. And that, you know, again, this is where parents get stuck again, that we don't then teach them by lecturing to them We help them, and again, you actually highlight in your book, you say, let me redefine what it means to learn, because a lot of times we think learning means that we lecture, but actually to learn is about how we're relating to them. So could you explain more about that? Once we have that understanding of what's going on, how do we help them with that?
2: Well, so... We look within ourselves, we look within the child's psyche and help investigate and become curious, so already the element of that sadistic kind of control gets taken out of the picture, yeah, now yeah. I now say, like you said, that the the child continues, you know we've investigated, we've become curious, we've empathized, we've connected, we've joined, and guess what the next day again, the child is rude. now, what does the parent do? Does this mean that the parent just become passive and lie over and let the the child just run roughshod over them? No, it doesn't. So what I speak of in this book is the power and art of natural consequences. Natural consequences meaning those that truly emerge organically from the situation at hand. And we don't impose anything artificial onto the situation. So for example, you know, um, this this client talked about her child being rude to her at bedtime. And I had taught the ch- the parent to create natural consequences. So what is a natural consequence when somebody is relationally being um, disrespectful, right? And you've in, you've investigated your curious. that's a given. Okay, now we're at the next step. Now what do you do when the child continues that behavior? So this parent, I had taught her to walk away, to disengage because that's a natural consequence. When somebody is relationally being disrespectful, the natural consequence to that is, well, I need to now disengage. Not in anger, but anger is often inevitable, but that's understandable, but not in a punitive way, in a boundaried way. You know, I now now need to create a boundary because you are not able to respect my boundary. So I need to handle myself and take care of my emotions so I will extricate myself from the situation. So this parent tells me about this time. You know, I asked her, how did it go? You know, did you disengage? So she said, yes, I did disengage. And then my child continued to be rude. And then before I knew it, it came out of my mouth. And then you won't be given your iPad for the whole week. <laughs> and, and then the child said to the mother, look how profound our children are. She, the child said to the mother, but mom, you already punished me. You already walked away. You don't have to give me any more of a punishment. Wow. <laughs> but the child, and, and then the mother explained that, you know, I wasn't trying to punish you. I was just walking away because you were disrespecting me. But look, the child gets it you know the child understands that that felt like a punishment and that was enough and we don't need to impose anything artificial so the point being that we have to we don't have to create consequences consequences come from within the situation Mm -hmm. your child is not putting off the lights at at home well then i told one parent take out your light bulbs Mm -hmm. you know stop haranguing the child Stop bugging the child. Stop lecturing and punishing. Just take out the light bulbs. That's the natural consequence to not respecting the electricity and the the expenses that go with it. So, so,
1: so it so yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean that you you know get to your point just. Kind of be a pushover and and allow your kids to do. It's funny because it reminds me of uh, Kathy and I are big fans of Wayne Dyer. We read a a lot of his books and seen him speak. And I remember one time he told a story about sometimes when his kids were arguing around each other, not even being disrespectful to him, him, but but just to each other, he would just get up and go. And it's such a foreign concept because we as parents think we have to intervene, we have to take control of the situation, and he would just bail. He would just leave, and it was weird because he found out that they were arguing – for his attention or for, or to be heard by him. And when he removed himself from the situation, it seemed to alleviate the energy in the room, which is kind of a, it's, it's a paradoxical. It's just a different way of looking at it.
2: Mm -hmm. Todd, I've done this with countless siblings and parents, and I've always told the parents just leave. And they feel so afraid to leave. They say, but they're going to kill each other. I always tell the parent leave because they're putting a show and you're the greatest, and you're the greatest spectator and you are the fulcrum. Once you leave, there's no more juice. Mm-hmm. You know, there's That's no right. interest. And this I remember this one parent who left. She said, oh, my God, they're go, I'm telling you they're going to break something or kill each other. And I said, just leave with me. And we left. And sure enough, within five minutes, they both followed her to her room and kept following her from room to room, <laughs> uh, being case in point that children are relational. yeah, and, and so are we. And if we could just understand that all dynamics occur within the relationship, then so much of our angst around punishment and control and discipline would just fade away, you know, and natural consequences are so apparent. They're right there for the taking. You know, your child doesn't get up on time. Well, they go to school late. Exactly. But we are so anxious. You know, it's us who cannot execute. So we actually mm-hmm. protect ourselves. I see this with my own daughter every morning. I'm protecting her. Because I don't want to deal with her anxiety when she misses the school bus. Yes. So I'm really protecting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about protecting how we feel.
0: Exactly, and that, and I'm so glad that you brought up the educational system or just getting on a bus because that is always you know my comment also is my child never gets up on time and what we always say to our daughters is if you don't get to class on time we'll walk you in but you will have to you know it, it will be your responsibility to talk to the teacher or the natural consequences of whatever that brings we don't even have to make it a structured you're going to say this or do this but there is a natural consequence to missing a bus but when i or you know not being dressed or whatever it is but when i talk to parents about that they get very uptight about how the how the school will then feel about their child and about them which And I understand you know i'm I live here too, so I understand that that isn't un that isn't comfortable, but the big question is how when we're being so conscious at home, how do we then go into a system like a school system and you know and deal with the fact that theirs is a little more disciplinary focused or theirs is a little more un- you know unconscious like what do you tell parents?
2: This is the unconscious element in culture where you're graded, where things are competitive, where teachers could lash out at you out of control, and you're going to have to learn to handle it and feel buffered by your own sense of self-esteem. And I think children grow and thrive when they're not shielded from the harsh truths. Mm -hmm. So that's one piece of it. And the other piece of it is I tell parents, you know, if you believe in something and you believe in teaching your child the natural way then you need to declare that to the school or to the teacher or, you know, so for for a long time, for example, I never showed my daughter any report cards. Um, and she still hasn't seen one. And now she's asked me and requested that she's, you know, could she please see her fifth grade report card? And I, I will now show it to her because it's coming from within her. Mm. But I've qualified it twenty, you know, million times to her that Those are just numbers, and numbers only reflect a certain point in time, and they do not define who you are. And I keep declaring that, and I've told her teacher as well, that we don't subscribe to numbers, we subscribe to effort, we subscribe to the qualitative elements of her growth and her and an integrated approach to her development. So, you know, you make that declaration, and you work with it, and I'm happy that it's an imperfect system, because children need to learn through the contrary aspects. If everyone was just super conscious... How would they struggle? How would they learn? Yes. How would they create their own values? So, these are opportunities for us to talk about at home, to conflict about, to debate about, and to, for children to come to their own learning about it. You know, left up to me, I would never show my daughter a report card, mm-hmm. but now she wants to see it. So, now it's for a choice. That's right. But she now knows the pitfalls and she's understood that there are variant ways to look at interpreting a scorecard. Yes.
1: Um, well, it's funny. As long as you talked about school, this is another quote that I love from your new book. It says, we should ask ourselves, is it more important that my child learns algebra or learns how to be fully present in each moment and to relate to their classmates in a supportive and caring manner? And that, you know, we, uh, Kathy and I and you, and, and I'm sure many of our listeners kind of are speaking that language. It's just, we get so inundated with scorecards and college and all this other stuff. And we just want our, our kids to be able to be emotionally intelligent, I mean that is has been by far much more important to us than the you know the, the SAT scores. So
2: yeah, and it's hard, you know. You, we we live in such a competitive culture, so you know, part of us is always going to be pulled towards that, and they, thank thankfully we have another part that keeps that in check. Hmm. And I think as long as we can create checks and balances and not let our competitive ego run amok. Our children will be better for it. And they can then decide how competitive they want to be in their life.
0: Exactly. And, you know, I'm going to pull you back to um, your first book, Shafali, The Conscious Parent, because I feel like a lot of this understanding, you know, I'm loving everything you're saying. I'm just sitting here nodding, nodding, nodding. And a lot of what parents will again say when we start to say, you know, here's some things to here's different ways to look at this. Here's different ways to experience this is they already feel so full and so overwhelmed that they don't even have space or they feel they don't have space to be able to put practice a new way. What do you recommend to parents? Like what is, you know, again, this, your first book, what is the starting point for parents if they really want to start making different choices with themselves and seeing things differently? What do you recommend to them?
2: So this is the famous question, right? What are the first two or three steps a parent can take? You know, so, you know, there is no scientific precise answer because it's a journey that you intentionally start embarking on but say somebody is not in therapy and say they don't have access to all this information I would recommend that they just begin to see that every interaction with their child is a reflection of their inner being so if they are experiencing a conflict with the child to take that pause and just begin to ask how am I contributing to this just that one mindful question and that pause to turn the spotlight inward can shift some of the energy. Um, it's always us. I mean, I, yeah. you, you know, you know, and, and our children lash out because we push too hard and they cry because we've, you know, created inconsistent boundaries and we've just, you know, confused them. One day we say you can have the computer. The next day we say we, you can't have it. We snatch things from them. We, we, you know, don't give them enough notice. It's, it's our unconscious playing out. Our children are just reactors because they're so helpless in their first few years of life, especially. So just taking that mindful pause, turning the spotlight in, asking, how am I? contributing to what I'm experiencing right now. Exactly. You know, the the language
0: whenever a parent says a statement to me like, well, they need to have manners, they need to know how to play piano. They, you know, anytime there's that need, that is like anytime you hear yourself saying the shoulds or the needs to take that back inside like what do you, you know, what is your feeling about manners? Why do they need to play piano? Is it because you didn't learn to play piano and that's not a blame thing. That's a Freedom, maybe you should learn how to play piano, you know, instead of imposing these things. And that I find that those words, you know, those needs and shoulds give you such an
2: idea of what's going on inside of you. Exactly. Those are great words. They're powerful words. We say them without even thinking. And those are great, you know, keep key turning points where you can begin to question the assumptions, the conditioning that you've been living under yourself and now you're just blindly imposing it onto your kids and your kids just feel that heavy burden. And sometimes, sometimes it matches who it is they are temperamentally, but many times it doesn't. Exactly. And,
0: you know, I think the the language that I use a lot with when I'm talking with moms or doing a women's group is I always say that Um, it seems like this time or it feels like to me this time we are the transition team like we as parents are now instead of blindly parenting because you just used that word and I love it instead of blindly parenting and saying you know, I do this because my mom did it and it worked, or I do this because my next door neighbor told me it's the best thing to do. It's time for us to, we're transitioning now to a place of consciousness or whatever word you want to use, where we are clear and aware of why we're doing things, what feels right, the connection. And like you said, the relationship with our children versus I do this because I am the parent. And I really feel like you know, your books, the things you're writing about, the things you're talking about are so important in this transitional time.
2: I love that phrase of of thinking of ourselves as that bridge between, you know, our children's inner self and how they're going to negotiate reality once they become an adult. And I think when we look at parenting as that transitional step, then we can take that backseat, we can take that pause, get the long view in perspective, and stop being so scarcity-based, so obsessed with lack and fear that we kind of predict doom upon our children unless they have these external barometers of success in place. And it's time to really dismantle that, you know. Um, and just the other day, a client said to me, but, you know, it, what will he have on his resume? And the, <laughs> and the child was eight and a half years old. Uh, and, I, and we both laughed because she understood that she was just so in the future Mm -hmm. And not now. And my only answer to her was, you have to come in the moment and what feels right to your child and what, how your child embodies their reality is the greatest teaching you can offer your child because your child needs to be present, needs to own, needs to manifest and feel his power versus your fears about some imagined future. So, you know, that, that's, how our spiritual evolution becomes so key, so predominant.
0: And and that's what I feel, you know, and again, I know that it may be sometimes easy for me to say this, but I feel like that's freedom for us as parents. Like if we can understand that we are not meant to control what happens when they're 18, that we can't foresee what's going to happen next year, that if that's freedom because then we just get to put that down and take that off our shoulders. And we weren't ever controlling it anyway. That was, you know, that was not real. And recognize that all we need to do is be right there. Like you were saying before, everything is about moment-to-moment awareness and relationship, moment-to-moment. And we don't need to worry about what will be on their resume. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. So we can only do that when we are in touch with our own inherent power and wisdom. And we've seen it work in our own life. We are only we can only do that for our children when we've understood, oh, I'm only good at something or I only put my effort into something when I am fully present in that action. When I when we ourselves see that embodied in our own lives, then that's the greatest lesson we will want to impart to our children. But we ourselves are such products of this culture that have divested us, have divorced us from our own inner inner wisdom, our own power to our own beings. That's why we have subscribed to these false ideas of what makes us happy. So once we embody our own happiness, and we've seen the path that we need to take for happiness, that's what we will give our children. Then we will say things like follow your heart, be in the moment, see what feels right. Don't eat that if it's not working with your body, walk away. Versus saying things like, You should take that or eat more. And even if you're not hungry, take another bite or clean your plate up. Silly things like that, which come from a divorcing of, you know, of our child from their spirit versus an entry into the spirit.
1: That's wonderful. So, um, Shafali, as we finish up, uh, we've had a, a few guests on our show that are literally neighbors of ours that can share some things, some important lessons, and we've interviewed some connected people, and I consider you one of them. One person we interviewed was Ed Bacon, who's connected with Oprah, and we asked—we uh, like to ask our, our guests if there's somebody that they – a teacher or somebody that they wish they could work with that they haven't yet had a chance to. Ed Bacon's response was Thich Nhat Hanh, and I think he's trying his best to manifest that right now. Now, but I direct the same question to you: Is there somebody in your profession uh, that you would love to have have worked with that you haven't yet had a chance to do so?
2: Oh my goodness, there's so many yummy people. <laughs> I uh, but I, I think I'm going. I may be lucky uh, and blessed to meet with Byron Katie. Oh, oh we love Byron love Katie. Her yes, she's such dedicated. Um, you know singular focused person on the acceptance of the as is. And you know, she doesn't stray from that singular focus and she's going to be speaking at the wisdom 2.0 conference in San Francisco. And so will I. So I think I may, may be blessed to meet her there and work with her a little bit.
0: I feel like some of her work has really changed my life because my, one of my internal dialogues now is constantly, is that true? Is that true? You know, anytime I'm getting way ahead of myself, that's always the first question. So um, for those of you who are not familiar with Byron Katie's work, the woman that um, Shefali was just referring to, I really um, recommend you check out her books and her work because she is an amazing teacher.
1: So last but not least, Shefali, I want to give you an opportunity to promote whatever it is that you would like to promote regarding your new book or where to find it or your website. So go right ahead.
2: Uh, Thanks, Todd. So, you know, Kathy's been talking about my previous book, The Conscious Parent. My next book, Out of Control, Why Disciplining Your Child Doesn't Work and What Will, will be out mid-January. And people can find all my information on my website at drshefali.com.
1: Wonderful. Well, uh, Shefali, I can't say thank you enough. Um, Kathy, you want to say Well, and
0: just thank you so much for your work because every time I am talking with someone and I feel that there's just – they that piece of their, their, that conscious piece, I always drive them to your book. I always say, I know exactly the book for you. And I'm just so thankful that you're out there doing this work because you've made my
1: work a lot easier.
2: (laughs) Thanks to both of you for the great work you do as well. Thank you, Dr. Shefali. Thank you,
1: Shivali. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll catch you uh, another time on ZenParentingRadio.com. Have a
0: great week.